Welcome back to the third year of the Netflix podcast, Present Company. I'm your host, Krista Smith. This season, we have something really special for you. I'll be exploring universal human emotion with our guests. Fear, a word that has gathered new meaning for many of us over the past year. Thank you for joining me. Today, I have one of Hollywood's most respected, beloved, and award-winning talents. She's had one of the most dynamic careers in the business, but you're about to see her like you've never seen her before, as treacherous Trudy Smith in the epic Western, The Harder They Fall. And I'm going to begin by asking her how her director on this film, James Samuel, first got her excited about this project. So here is one of my absolute faves, Regina King. Hi, Regina. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to be seeing you. It's It, it feels like a minute since uh, I'm either seeing you on my big screen, my small screen, or in some fabulous dress, getting yet another award or giving an award, which I'm all happy with all of those things happening. But love seeing your face right now on this. this I love thing. seeing yours. It'd be better to see it in real life, though. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about the harder they fall. I had the privilege of speaking to James a little bit earlier, and there's nothing not to love about that guy. I was completely blown away from the second he opened his mouth, his energy, just his thoughtfulness around everything that he does. And we both share uh, an obsession, I think is probably the accurate word, with the Western genre. So needless to say, we had a lot to talk about. But I'm curious for you, how did he approach you about this project? And did you know anything about Westerns? Did you have any kind of adjacency to it at all? I mean, you know, you can't be a person that is uh, a fan of cinema and not be adjacent. But will I say that it's my favorite genre? (laughs) Uh, Far from that. I wouldn't say that... um, You know, I'm not one of those people that, you know, just love to watch the Westerns and will, you know, watch them over and over again. You know, I I think maybe a couple Clint Eastwood Westerns maybe I watched and probably liked. But outside of that, I don't know, just never really, really liked Westerns too much. And if I'm being completely honest probably because there were never really any black people in Western films. So it just, my interest level just kind of, you know, it just, it didn't remain. And then the cowboy and Indian thing, I mm, just never landed for me, you know. None of it ages well, that's for sure. sure. Yeah, yeah. And then just having a mom that's a teacher who never was a fan of what Westerns represented. You know, you grow up and you're hearing that. I think... All of us as humans forget that our parents kind of create our palates, whether it's from the foods that we like to the songs that we like to the clothes that we, you know, it kind of starts there. And when I say create um, your palate, either you like what they like or you go far left from what they like. Depending on things, I either like what my mother liked or went far left and definitely her lack of love for Westerns, I probably adopted. But cut to James Samuel, his 
love for Westerns and his understanding of the style of Westerns made me appreciate a Western in a way that I'd never, ever considered before. Probably because I just never sat through a Western movie and looked at it through his lens. And so my agent, Lori Bartlett, was like, you know, I really want you to meet this guy. He's talented, Regina. He's quite talented. And he's doing this Western. And I went, oh, Western. <laughs> she said, no, 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 just just wait. I just want you to meet him and, and, and just hear his take on the story he wants to tell. And being a person that loves stories, I love to hear stories, I love to tell stories. Of course, I was gonna give him the opportunity to share his story. And it was supposed to be, I was, it was while I was shooting Watchmen. So I was in Atlanta and he was in London, I believe. And so it, it took uh, some time to coordinate that call with that time difference. And so when it was, he's just infectious and he's so confident and so sure about his vision and can express it so well. And he tells stories through music because that's what he loves, music. I'd read the script and as he's telling me the story through his eyes, he picks up the guitar and he's playing the music that he's going to be having during certain scenes. And I'm just like, just <laughs> enthralled, you know, I just, and that 30, 40 minute call ended up being like maybe an hour and a half. I got off the phone and called Lori and I was like, okay, I'm in, I'm in. Either this is going to be awful or it's going to be great. But I will take the ride with this creator, you know, because he just you just believe in everything he says because he's so clear about his vision. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's it's great at the top of the film. I'm not giving any spoilers uh, where he says these people existed. And the amazing thing is like, you know, I grew up in Denver and there obviously there were black cowboys. There are lots of them. <laughs> to me, it was so great to see that representation completely on screen in every aspect of every character you saw and the whole the whole scope of the film, which I loved, 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 loved. For you, did you learn a lot? Like, how did you prepare to get into this? Did you read some stuff or what did, what did he have you do? You know, uh, first of all, like Cherokee Bill, I'd heard of before. Stagecoach Mary, I had heard of before. But all of the other characters or people that um, are in Harder They Fall, I had not heard of those heard of them before. So that was intriguing. And there's not a lot of information on Gertrude Smith. That's who I play, also known as Treacherous Trudy. I like that. Trudy, I like that. So there's not much to look up. Like you, you can type in her name. Like she's probably one of those people that you can type in their name on Google and it doesn't come up. And so I had to kind of rely on what James, the research that James had done. And he sent me a picture of her and a couple pictures of her. One of them was her wanted poster, you know. And I just felt like when I'm looking at the time period, I'm looking at, okay, here we are at the end of the 19th century in this piece. You know, who were they and who were they 
at that time. And from James, uh, I'm trying to make sure I don't say any, to give away any spoilers. From James' perspective, how, where we are when you meet us, I kind of likened it to this is a town that was Rosewood or Elaine or Tulsa 20 years before like a Tulsa became the Black Wall Street. This is how the Black Wall Street started. So I kind of looked at it that way. And then also specifically with Trudy, because there wasn't that much about her, because she in real life was was a thief and by any means necessary, she would do what she needed to do to get things done. In my mind, I kind of imagined her as kind of a nomad. Like this woman has traveled the country, you know, like wherever her background was that landed her in the first state that she was in, she's traveled and she has seen some things and has survived some things to be in this space that we're that we are in when we meet her. And I kind of felt like when someone is, I don't want to say worldly, but in this instance, kind of worldly in a way, it's hard for you to tell where they're from, you know, by just listening to their accent. Like my son's father, he's, his parents are Jamaican. He was born in England, moved to uh, the Bronx when he was 10. So he has this wild accent that you can't tell what it is. And I kind of felt like that's what Trudy would sound like. She would sound like she's been so many different places and she picks up, you know, a little something here and there. And her being a a person that knows how to use all of the resources around her, maybe she kind of changes her accent in, in certain places just to throw people off, you know, who knows? So I kind of felt like she was a woman that is the the result of many places and many experiences and running things the way she wants to run them. They kind of call our our group the baddies, the bad guys, the bad girls. But I just kind of felt like, yeah, we're the baddies, but in such a good way. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the that's the success is everybody's pretty bad and pretty good, depending on what what frame you're catching them at, which is the great thing truly about the kind of Western genres. There's no perfect heroes and there's no perfect villains. And what I loved about what James did here is with Trudy, you were just as independent as Idris as Jonathan as the other characters, right? Are the other male characters? We believed. I completely agree. I believe she's Roman. She is a nomad. She's going everywhere. She doesn't need anybody but herself. You know, utterly self-sufficient, which is so great. And I will say that, I mean, thirty-year career. You've had some great fucking roles, right? You've had some big moments, right? But the character introduction is perhaps perfect in this film. When we meet Trudy and it's those that galloping and the train tracks and the outfit, I mean, it is one of, I'd say, top five character introductions. Oh, cool. Cool. It's so good. And it, it 
Yeah, and it reminds me of that pantheon of females. So you think of Sigourney Weaver and Aliens and the Terminator, the that character of Linda. You know, you think of these solitary females that the world kind of rests on them. And I felt that way about Trudy. To me, she's equal to them in that. That's great that that, that came off that way. Well, a really great thing about working with Idris, you know, we hadn't had the opportunity to work together in such a long time and we wanted more scenes together. So we were, we would have conversations like, how can we make the most of the little bit of time that we're together? And, and this, these are the conversations that w- went on between Idris, Lakeith and myself, you know, just whether it was just looks to each other, even that, that they weren't maybe James may not have written them in. We always felt like we needed to always be looking to each other like that. That's, you know, that's that's my right. That's my left, you know, and at any given point, one of us is center. And um, one of the things that Richards and I talked about is that Trudy and Rufus are totally equal. Like he doesn't reign over her. He's in his mind. He was like, if anything, Trudy reigns over him. Correct. And so we, we definitely mm-hmm. tried to find spaces, even though we didn't have many of them. As well, no, I'll say as many of them as we would have liked. But hey, hey, it's, it's only 120 minutes. It can't be the Idris Regina Lakeith show. Idris and Regina Lakeith may have wanted it to be that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're spreading spreading the wealth around. I mean, what's interesting too is I I I'm so grateful that I've lived long enough to see projects in my lifetime and in my career in Hollywood that is looking at history and this revisionist history and almost these films are reclaiming it or series. And when I kind of pulled back, I was like, wait, Regina's been a part of a lot of these right now. So if, you know, from One Night in Miami to Watchmen to this film, I mean, this is something that you are right in the middle of, you are in the eye of this uh, tornado that's happening finally in, in this telling of these stories in Hollywood. I mean, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Is that conscious or do you think it's just the timing of everything is perfect? It's funny, Krista. I think it's a little bit of both. And it's so interesting as, you know, I'm looking at you and you're talking and you're saying that because we've known each other so long. I mean, we've actually been able to witness each other's careers grow and and shift and watch each other make decisions where we walk away from from something that seems like, well, why would you walk away from that? But it was the right, absolute right thing to do. So, I don't know. I got a little joy in my heart hearing you say that because I do feel like just the history that we've had is, you know, just puts a smile on my face. I do feel that it's a conscious and I think some subconscious. I think um, some of it is just allowing the universe to guide you. You know, you, like you're, you're, you're feeling something that is telling you this is where you should go and, and you listen to that. And sometimes it's this is where I need to go, and this is, and that's what you do. There's a bit of both. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting conversation because I feel like, and I say this a lot to some people that I mentor that are super ambitious and anxious and, you know, have all this energy and they're impatient. And I'm like, you know what? Sometimes patience is an action. And I look at it. That's good. That should be a T-shirt. Right. 
<laughs> but it's true. And I think about it in terms, and I can think about it in terms of myself. Obviously, I speak from experience when I say that. But I can look at you and think, you know what? You have just been consistently delivering, 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 delivering. And everyone, maybe we took you for granted. Maybe we're like, oh, of course, that's Reg- of course she's good. It's Regina. Well, well of course she's going to elevate this scene. Of course she's going to make something two-dimensional be three-dimensional. Of course we're going to remember her, you know, regardless of how much we remember the film or the series, we're going to remember you because you brought it every single time. And so now it feels like it's just added up to where it's like, give her the awards, give her all the awards, give her all the trophies now. And it is that feeling like at this middle age, it's almost that that cliche of like, you know, what is it? Lucky is when preparation meets opportunity, like you have been preparing for this. So like I was reading some of the interviews you've done in the past. It's like you were shooting a movie, you were flying back to, you know, New Mexico, you're then in the editing bay, all in the middle of COVID, all in the middle of like a, we're in a global pandemic and you just kept that pedal going. You just kept it going and kept it going and kept it going. And I think, you did that and you were able to do that and you were able to be so excellent at it because you've had all that time, because you sat there and put in those hours, those 10,000 hours. You knew how to get it done. I would take that for sure. I mean, it, it is sometimes you are preparing and don't even realize you're it, don't even realize what you're in preparation for. You know, I, I definitely will say that as scary as this time was I do feel in a lot of regards I was prepared to juggle all those things because they didn't they never did feel like a juggle it kind of always felt like this is what it is and we're going to get it done I don't know right now in this moment how we're going to get it done (laughs) but we're going to get it done trust me when I say (laughs) we're going to get it done and Mm -hmm. so I don't feel like if all of these things were happening or it come um, to me 10 years ago, I would have been able to be as confident in my ability to guide the ship through, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. I want to talk a little bit about I want to go back to Trudy a little bit. And I have some silly questions. But the first one comes to mind, like, how long did it take you to put on that costume? Because that costume is Amazing. I mean, from everything. So I just want to know when it's like, okay, your day to work, Regina, let's get you ready to work. How long did that take? It's funny because, you know, our costume designer, Antoinette Messam, is just fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And we clicked very early on. So there I was able to ask her for things in preparation for weather related things. And one of the things about the weather in Santa Fe is that it's really, really hot or really, really cold. And so we had experienced both of those things. So on the days that it was really, really hot, it probably took me longer to get into my costume because <laughs> I just knew I was going to be in all of that in that <laughs> heat. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so those days, maybe it would take me, you know, I don't know, seven, eight minutes. But then on the days when it was cold, you know, you didn't want to have your street clothes off for that long. And you wanted to get all of that heavy armor, if you will, on. And those days, it probably 
would take me like three, <laughs> three minutes to get dressed. <laughs> but it wasn't, you know, honestly, like with one with the blue dress, that the thing that was tedious with that were all was all of the buttons, you know, after wearing a, a costume for three or four times, you tend to come up with little tactics to get into it easier. So after three or four times, I realized, oh, okay, the petticoat that has to go on underneath, if I keep it inside the dress, it's just like almost a jump in. And if I <laughs> unbutton it all the way down to just these, and I'll, I won't have as many buttons, if I hold my stomach in and wiggle, I can at least <laughs> save eight buttons from having to be unbuttoned. So it's like little things like that you uh, discover once you've been in your wardrobe a few times. <laughs> okay, so my other question is, which took more coordination? Like the horse work that you did or the apple scene with, with that apple scene with that one knife and that one apple? The apple scene, definitely. <laughs> I made lots of apple crumble as I was preparing for that scene. And I definitely, you know, you never know what's going to happen in the editing room, but I definitely was able to get one peel where the peel the whole entire apple with one peel. So this is the thing that's interesting. If that scene had been a requirement 15 years ago, there was no Google, 10 years ago, I guess even, but there was no Google for me to look up how to peel an apple with one in one and, and leave the skin intact. So I was able to go to Google and, you know, watch someone do it and then just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. Probably six apple crumbles later and got it down. So I, I do think about that. And those are the moments that I go, you know, we should appreciate Google. Because um, <laughs> there are other moments when I like, freaking Google, as I just have given them so many plugs right now in this yeah. podcast. However many years ago, I would have had to find somebody to find somebody to find somebody to help me figure out, is there a, a certain technique? Or either mm -hmm. I would have had to find the technique on my own. And you're also doing it with the 19th century knife. You're not doing it with a... <laughs> that's, that's what people, I mean... Probably won't appreciate, but yes, it is not like a Ginsu, you know what I mean? It is definitely not the easiest knife. And it's also while I'm delivering like a one-page monologue. It was excellent, excellent scene. Excellent, excellent scene. So it all paid off. I'm sorry I didn't get any of those apple crumbles. I have but, to make you one. You Please, I'm going to hold you to it when you come back. But one of the things James also talked about is on the set was very unconventional because he would play loud music up until he'd hit, you know, say action. And that's what was so exciting to watch as a, as a viewer was the way he was turning this kind of stale and stale, frankly, genre. But the genre did build a lot of Hollywood, you know, responsible for a giant chunk of it. But he turned it on its head. He modernized it while still keeping it in the period. And it was really done through music and the energy and, you know, I've Obviously, the way he shot it. But what was that like? One, just being around all of that black excellence and then having that music and just it feels like it must have been one of the most unique experiences as an actor. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there is that part of me that goes back and thinks if we were not in the middle of a pandemic while we were shooting this, how much fun this would have 
I mean, and it was fun, but it was stressful because, you know, the six feet apart and that was tough, you know, but James definitely was found a way to infuse just the natural joy of life that he has into a set that was supposed to remain six feet apart by doing things like playing music in between takes. I've never been on the set where this happened, you know? Usually they're always fighting for quiet in between takes just so that the crew can hear each other talking and setting things up. And I remember we were on the set and we were outdoors and this this was like the, maybe the second night that we had seen Redwood and it was beautiful, such a beautiful set. And it was a little chilly that night and everyone's, you know, conversing, but we're trying to stay apart and just out of nowhere, I can't remember what song James started playing, but he started playing this song. And when I tell you like 50 people, all of a sudden at once you start seeing us moving and start seeing us grooving. And I look over at James like, really? So I go over and he and I just like kind of cut a rug a little bit. And it was just, it was kind of magical. Cause like I said, it was a lot of anxiety the Corona has brought us all. And it was just a moment where everyone just kind of exhaled and just, you know, became, became one, if you will. James kind of has that effect on people. Mm-hmm. And he did, mm-hmm. and he does it through music. And again, he did it through a music moment, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. I would like to see James do a Trudy standalone origin story. I'm all, I'm down for that. We needed that Western from a strictly female point of view. And I respect what he did here with both you and Zazie. And the women held their own with the men. They were not property. They were their own people. Uh, I want to ask you about Ian, because I think you've been a working mom. You have worked your entire time. You raised a beautiful boy. He's incredible. But I would like to know, like, how has your relationship been when he's seen his mom be such a badass? Like, between directing her first feature, getting those awards, being in Watchmen, being part of that zeitgeist, it's like undeniable. How has his reaction been to that? And has it changed your relationship or deepened it? Do you have these conversations around it? It definitely hasn't changed our relationship, but it does feel, I don't know, really special as a mother when your children, you know, think you're kind of cool, you know? And I I feel like earlier on, he just, he didn't, I just was a mom, you know? He just, yes, I'm on TV. Yes, I do things, but... You know, I'm mom, you know, I'm I'm bringing the snacks to the football game. I'm, you know, I just that's, you know, did you you forgot to get the oranges, you know? <laughs> I think one of my favorite times is when you and I ran into each other at Lowe's or a hardware store. And we're both pushing cards like you were getting something last minute. I was getting it's just so funny. I, I just thought about that when you said that getting stuff for the for the game. I mean, because that's uh, and, and I reality. think that that's that's reality. And that's, I think, one of the things with you and I, the reason why when we do run into each other at events or lows or anything like that, we always relate. You know, we've had those conversations about kids and our conversations always end up going back to like real life shit. You know what I mean? Not that what we are in is not real life shit, but 
it, it is, you know, your family is is the most important thing. And so, you know, with Ian, just I've been so proud of him being able to find his way as an artist and what he wants to do, having a mother that's an artist and, and in the public's eye and that everyone is, you know, receiving accolades and everyone is saying, oh, you're so great, you're so this, you know, that could be difficult to, you know, he doesn't want to be known as Regina's son, you know, he wants to be, you know, Ian a standalone, but yet he's still very proud to be Regina's son and he tells me that. Ian is such an amazing artist. He's a great chef, a great songwriter, you know, he builds furniture. I like like sometimes I'm like, who are you? But that he's finding the space to claim who he is and yet make me feel like just the greatest mom when he says like the other day, he just called me and he said, you know what, mom, you're really the goat. And I was like, wow, where did that come from? And he said, I was just watching this one episode of Boondocks and Yo, you just went back and forth from Huey and Riley. And so he just, and I didn't even know what scene he was talking about. And he went back and forth and he, he told me the whole scene. And I still don't remember it, but I cracked up and made me laugh. But he said that you just, you just did that and you did it like it's no big deal to you. And I was like, no, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. But I guess he's a bigger deal. So I just never even... We we rarely have conversations about the business. Every now and then I'll have a conversation when I'm uh, with him just to get his opinion on something because I want to get it from that pers- that age perspective. Mm-hmm. And and he's always gives really thoughtful responses. Like he never just an answer. He definitely always gives thoughtful responses. So you know it, it's nice to hear that. From, mm-hmm. from you know, he's he's my favorite person. He and my mother are my favorite people in the world. So, and my sister, Rena. Mm-hmm. Right. I'll, I'll give her honorable mention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm asking everybody, I only have a few more, two more questions. So I ask, this season I'm talking about fear for obvious reasons. Uh, and we all have our unique relationship with fear. And I feel like artists... In particular, it it can propel you. It can hold you back. It can ruin your life. It can open doors. It's like just depending on where you are with it at the time in your life, where you're working or not working, or what is it. So I just want to: How is your relationship with fear right now, Regina? Coming off of everything you've done and the pandemic, and just today? Yeah. Well, I think I guess my relationship with fear is always shifting always you know i think fear and love are equal size of energy you know if if that makes any sense like it, it can have just as much power as love does and i think for myself i'm always have moments where i feel uneasy which that could also be related as fear but I feel like I never, the love always, I cut through the fear with, with with love, love for self, love for the moment, love for whoever's in the moment with me, love for whatever the thing may be. 
is the I, I think that the, those energies are equally strong, but I feel like love always rules. Love always cuts through and I operate, I think, on a conscious and subconscious level using that. So I think I have a very healthy relationship with fear, all of that to say. I'm about to start, I'm preparing now to play Shirley Chisholm and I'm terrified. But I feel like if I wasn't terrified, that means it doesn't mean a lot to me. It's not important to me. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes we think of fear as a negative thing, but sometimes that fear or that anxiety is just because it means so much to you, you know? Well, my last question, and you're, you're perfectly poised to, to answer this, is about advice. And you certainly have had, you know, you've played the long game, whether it was conscious or not. You know, you're doing commercials and stuff as a teenager, series, a John Singleton film. But I think of how many things you did. And of course, Jerry Maguire exploding with that film and, you know, everything since then. But what advice would you have for kids, maybe even your son's age, that are in impatient or want a career in the arts, whether it's music or writing or acting or directing or any of that, where do you think they should focus their energies? Well, first of all, then I want to write it down. Patience is an action. Is that what you said? I'll text you. Yeah, yeah, I'll text you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's that's quite powerful. And I definitely subscribe to that same sentiment 1,000%. Because I, I feel like there's not a such thing as being too prepared. And sometimes, you know, because there's also a version of patience is a virtue, you know, that that is a version of what you said. And I think that if you are a person that believes in spirit, believes in God, whatever you may call God, I I, I think so often we say, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah, no, you may not be, you know, and and I talk about this all the time. One of the things that I think we do so often as human beings is compare ourselves to someone else. We compare our journey to the person next to us. And that's just so dangerous to me, you know, dangerous. It's like it's committing like suicide in some ways to me, like you're just setting yourself up to not be great. You know, you are great and you are great because you are you, not because of who you know or because of you did it better than someone else. Because at the end of the day, whether you did it better than someone else, that's subjective. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, depending on who you ask, yeah, you did better than someone else according to you. But <laughs> ask someone else, that other person did it better. So I would say that to continue to beat to the tune of your own drum. Choose the rhythm that you want to beat to because it's yours. No one else can duplicate it. No one else can tell you that is offbeat. It's yours. So don't compare yourself to someone else. Don't try to beat to someone else's tune. Mm. I mean, I still have to remind myself that even now. I have to remind myself that even now. <laughs> yeah, but I, I do. I do remind mm-hmm. myself of I, I, that. That is one bit of advice that I've I've always taken, you know, and then and, and that's come from my mother. You know, I remember very early on saying something about my career, asking someone about, well, why does that person get that? And that I asked another celebrity about another 
person that I kind of felt like our career paths were similar, but I felt like I had done more in my career. So I asked that other celebrity, well, why do you think, you know, that that is? And her response was, because she's a star and you're not. And I was like, whoa, wow. And I asked that person because someone had advised me to, like, this person would be mm-hmm. great, a great person to talk to. And I should have just talked to my mom because when I told my mom the conversation, she was like, why the fuck would you ask her that of all people? One and two, why do you care about what's happening with them, with, with their career? Why do you care? And she said, you're you. You are you. God is through you, just like God is flowing all through her. So why are you worried about that? And that just kind of, I was like, you know what? Mom is right. And I should have talked to her about it first. So now I talk to my mom about it first whenever those little doubtful things come up. But that is what, from that moment on, is when I adopted the the idea of comparing myself to someone else who's dangerous. Regina, I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy um, to see your face. <laughs> and I'm happy to catch up with you and and all of that. So I thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And congratulations on everything. I know you're directing another movie as well. You've got a full plate ahead of you for sure, a, a busy schedule. But thank you for always just being the best at what you do and always showing up always showing up. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you for always showing up. You've always shown up for me and I appreciate you, sister. Thanks so much for joining me. The Harder They Fall is now in theaters and will be streaming on Netflix November 3rd. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more conversations here at Present Company. 